I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and Pete Najarian. Tonight on Fast, the rally that's built Ford tough. Shares of Ford seemingly unstoppable, gaining another 7% today. The stock is now up 19% in just the past week. At what point do the wheels start to come off this epic run? We'll take it inside the trade. Plus, we're all over the after-hours action shares of Salesforce. The stock popping as the company's call gets underway. We'll bring you all the big headlines from the quarter. And later, a Hollywood comeback. Shares of AMC soaring at 35% today. So is this the MOASS, or mother of all short squeezes, as they say on Reddit? We will find out. We start off with the Airbus lift shares of GE, Spirit Air Systems, Transdime, and Boeing flying high today as the world's biggest plane maker forecasts clear skies ahead. Phil LeBeau kicks us off tonight with all the details. Hi, Phil. Hey, Melissa. When Airbus or Boeing does something, basically predicting where the industry is headed, the other stock usually moves in tandem, and that was the case today, as Boeing and Airbus both moved higher after Airbus early this morning in Europe said, you know what, suppliers? Get ready for a ramp up in A320 production. Remember, the A320 is the counter to the 737 MAX. It is the bread and butter at Airbus, and they want the suppliers to get ready. For some point of reference in terms of how much production will increase, consider this. They currently build 40 per month. By the fourth quarter, they want their suppliers to be ready for production at 45 A320s per month. By 2023, in the first quarter, they expect it to get to 64. By the way, that'll eclipse where they were at the high point in 2019. And they want their suppliers to investigate the possibility of getting up to 70, 70 A320s per month in the year 2024. Take a look at shares of Boeing over the last two weeks. There's increased optimism about the MAX. Deliveries have restarted after they have been uh, had the latest electrical issue fixed. Orders are supposed to be increasing. We've already seen a couple in the last week or so. That moves shares of Boeing higher. And we've seen the same thing from the aviation sector overall, whether it's GE because of their exposure with the engines that they're building or Transdime, Spirit Aerosystems. They all have moved higher in the last couple of weeks. And underlying all of this is the increased optimism that air travel will continue to grow worldwide, especially here in the United States, starting from here all the way through the next couple of years. And that's why you take a look at all of the major airlines moving higher over the last couple of weeks. So, Melissa, this is one of those signals. They don't happen very often, but when they happen, whether from Boeing or from Airbus, when they tell their suppliers, giddy up, we're going higher, everybody pays attention. Yep. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau in Chicago for us. We outlined all the stock moves on the back of the news today, Guy. Phil outlined the moves on the week. How do you trade this one? Yeah, I'll let Tim talk about Boeing because he's been on it. And obviously, Steve has been talking about 21 in 21 for General Electric. But the way I trade it is you look at Boeing quickly, series of higher highs and higher lows since that March low of last year. In order for that to continue, it needs to trade to 270. Feels like it's going to do it. But Phil mentioned it. Spirit Aerospace or Aerosystems is where you want to be. And we've talked about this now seemingly for months. Obviously, the stock pulled back a few weeks ago, but it's right back up to that $50 level. I think it takes out the 52-week high of 53. They just reported earnings. Phil said it. You know, Boeing's given the all clear to their suppliers, and the one that wins the most, in my opinion, is SPR. For Boeing, Tim, should we look to 446 as, as not being unattainable anymore, not being too far off? I mean, that was, of course, the uh, all-time high in Boeing just before the recall or the grounding of the 737 MAX. 
I, I think the company's very far away from a free cash flow generation, and that's what it was. It was a free cash flow machine. They were doing $25 to $35 in free cash flow uh, at a share uh, you know, around that time. And I, I think you know, the company still has a long way to go to get back there. The, the order book is impressive. Uh, at least on a relative basis, we we know that ultimately, um, you know, the buyers have two places to go, right? They have Airbus or or Boeing, and, and the 320 uh, has arguably been a superior product, leaving aside the misfortunes of the 737 Max. So um, I, I do think, as guys talking about the stock and the moves, and you know, we need to clear that 275 area out. Um, it's done very little lately, and 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 if you listen to Airbus, which is what Phil is staging here, you have a case where I think they've been very conservative on their guide. They've been reluctant to increase their, their 21 guide. And I think Boeing has been as well. Um, and therefore, I think there is more room. I think there's more room for the upside. Uh, the, the comments today for suppliers to, to get ready to uh, build up demand, that short haul and medium haul demand is growing. But you almost got the sense that they're starting to get more comfortable about some of these uh, longer term routes and, and ultimately the bigger planes. And, and what that means for the airlines, too, is part of this trade. Um, I think European defense stocks are actually cheaper than U.S. defense stocks. And I think that's that's something for investors to look at. Again, if you're looking at BAE or Ultra and even Airbus over Boeing, but I am long Boeing and, and I like this trade. If you want to go more downstream, Steve Grasso, I mean, I mentioned Spirit Aerosystems, um, General Electric, which is obviously not a pure play aviation play. But um, how would you sort of gauge going away from the Boeings and the Airbus a little bit down? Well, if you look at GE, GE's, uh, everyone talks about power with GE and it's not a balance sheet problem with GE any longer, but aviation is 25% of the revenues for GE. So I'm long it. It's, it's, a, it's a bigger position in my portfolio, not the biggest. I play it that way. But if you go a little more downstream to your point, uh, I'm out of Spirit um, uh, Airlines right now. I think JetBlue, uh, Spirit, that was the easy money. Now it gets difficult. Do you go with international? Is international coming back? Are people going to be in front of Zooms for the rest of their life. Do you go with the Delta? Do you go with the United uh, on American Airlines? That's probably where you head. But I have one that you wouldn't think about talking about, Avis. So if you look at the fleet uh, on these rent-a-cars, because that's the number one thing you should should look at. You should look at fleet pricing and the availabilities for a a rental car. There is two things that are going for it right now. There are two things that are going for it right now. You can't find a rent-a-car going in this long weekend, and fleet prices are moving higher. Stock is up 130% year-to-date. It's got a decent amount of short interest, I believe, last time I checked. So people don't believe in this stock, which means that it could ultimately go higher. But I think that's a play that most people don't think about in the transports, and that would be the rent-a-car business. Yeah, there are a lot of trades upstream and downstream from Boeing and Airbus, Pete. So, so how would you trade this news out of Airbus? Yeah, you know, I'd go right to Boeing. And I think Tim Mm. really stated it very nicely when he was talking about the free cash flow. I mean, I think that's a really big deal, Mel. And I think they'll return to that maybe even a little bit sooner than than Tim thinks it will. But either way, we're looking at something in the future, and that's what we trade on. We trade on what things are looking like. I'll tell you what, when Gary Kelly starts talking about what they want to do demand-wise, he's seeing demand coming his way. He's pushing that out towards Boeing, and the orders for Southwest 
are absolutely extraordinary to see that what those numbers look like right now. So when I look at Boeing and I see the options world and everybody's been more and more bullish there t as time goes by, I don't think that we're going to return to that 446 or whatever those highs were, Mel, because we started getting a little bit sloppy. And when I, what I mean by that was we were, we were talking about this stock all based upon the free cash flow and nobody wanted to really look at PEs and that type of thing. I think that the reality is that people will be a little bit more cautious about that end of it, but that doesn't mean this isn't a stock that could easily be, I think, 300 by the end of the year very easily. How about the notion, Tim, in the airline space that, that perhaps leisure travel, the rebound there, is already priced into the stocks and that maybe we should be, be, be pivoting to looking at the return of international travel? Well, I, I think it, it is largely priced in, and, uh, and it's easy to make an argument that a lot of the earnings profile already has been priced in to actually have include airlines, especially when you look at their 2019 numbers and, and when you actually then consider the enterprise value of these companies that are largely bigger across the board, some a lot more than others, um, you, you know, you've essentially got a proportionate earnings profile that is priced in entirely. Um, so the airline multiples aren't terribly cheap. And, and I think the international business, though, will be a driver. Um, the minute we get headlines on transcontinental, it's, it's going to be an exciting day to be owning airline stocks. So uh, valuations don't love. Do agree that I think we've priced in a, a leisure recovery, in fact, a very strong one. Um, but there are still catalysts here that may not be uh, fundamentally reflected in the share prices. Where is there still value, Guy, in this sort of travel reopening of the economy trade, do you think? Well, I mean, I don't know if it's value, but I, I've got to tell you, the sell-off, I think, in Airbnb is, is interesting. I think it's giving you an opportunity. I mean, if Dan were here, he would laugh at me and talk about the valuation in terms of price to sales and those things. But the business model makes sense. And I think they've really figured out uh, how to run more efficiently. Just go back and listen to some of the things they've said over the last six to nine months. So that's one place. And, you know, Tim mentions the airlines. He's right. But, you know, Delta Airlines, I think it's giving you a bit of an opportunity. It traded up to 52 thereabouts a few weeks ago, pulled all the way back down to 45. You know, I think Delta might be ready for the next leg higher on some of the back of this news. So, you know, I know it's somewhat tangential, but Airbnb and I think Delta for a trade. Yeah, and Delta is also exposed to the business travel, of course. Um, Pete Nigerian, same question to you. Where's there still upside in this travel reopening trade? Yeah, you know, a guy, guy I, I agree with Guy on the Airbnb as a possibility because, it, you know, it's actually come back down to earth to, to some degree, which I think it needed to do. But I also look at the airlines, and I think that these airlines, you know, as we continue to, you know, we, we're just starting to fill up these planes now. And so I think as we go forward and we look at some of the demand, and the demand is there. And as a matter of fact, people are, are almost angry that they have to wear masks when they're sitting on planes and all the rest of it. We will get past that as well. So I think we're going to see air travel continue to grow. So I'm looking at the airlines themselves. I do like Delta a lot. I think there's a lot of other names out there, though. American Airlines, we see consistent option paper there. So I think I'd throw that in the list as well of names. But we haven't seen as much in United. So I'm not really sure what to, to think of United right now. But certainly Delta and American stand out right now in terms of the airlines, especially because they've got such a gigantic international element to them as well. All right. Coming up, we're all over the After Hours Action Shares of Salesforce and Costco. Both stocks on the move on earnings. We'll dive into the trade straight ahead. Plus, Ford shifting into high gear. The stock rallying another 7% today. It is now up 18% over the past week. But is this red-hot rod about to hit the skids? Stick around to find out. We've got much more Fast Money right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Costco. Shares are volatile in the after hours. That conference call is getting underway. Let's get to Courtney Reagan with all the details. Hey, Court. Hi there, Melissa. So another strong quarter for Costco, really. The wholesale club beating earnings by a pretty wide margin on stronger than expected revenues as well. Total comparable sales. This is including gas and foreign impacts um, from foreign FX up 20.6 percent. The U.S. alone saw comps grow 18.2 percent. And remember, this is basically compared to that big stock up pandemic quarter last year. Total e-commerce grew more than 41%. On the earnings call, CFO Richard Galanti is just going through the main numbers, but does add that traffic is up more than 12.5% worldwide, and the average transaction also grew more than 7%. Gross margins did fall, and he's talking about the products mix and how that's changing now to sort of a more normalized mix compared to that stock-up quarter from last year. Back over to you. All right, Court, thank you. Courtney Reagan. On Costco, which are down at the shares, that is, down seven-tenths of a percent right now. Tim Seymour, what do you make of Costco? I mean, the, the notion of returning to a store, you need to do that for a Costco. And I think people are ready to go. I mean, yeah. if, they're, if, they're, if they're pent up buying, excuse me, getting on a plane, they're going into Costco. And I think, you know, part of the dynamic here, so Courtney mentioned those e-commerce sales, which are really impressive. But what's really impressive for them and about the getting into the store for other things, but the food comps are, are holding above 20 percent. And and that's great because that's, you know, to me, part of the stickiness of the business, why they want to be in food to to get into the broader general merchandise. So uh, like that story, like the margin story, I, like at some point, stimulus is going to end. And, and I think uh, the comps over this summer get really tough. Um, so those are your dynamics for a stock that rallied 24% or 25% into this number off of those lows that were really set off of uh, uh, the first quarter announcement. And I think you've had a lot of good news priced in here. Um, but look, they, they've been executing over and over again. And I think they will continue to. No more stimulus is an interesting dynamic here in the, in the back half of the year. Um, Guy, you strike me as somebody who might go into a Costco have a couple samples, get a pallet of toilet paper. Yeah, well, people my age, when you get a pallet of toilet paper, they call that wishful thinking, number one. Number two, it's not about me, it's about... What, what's that show with, uh, with O'Leary and Mark Cuban Shark and Tank. those people? What do they call Shark that show? Tank. Shark Tank, right. I got a, I got a great idea. You Never should follow Pete Jerrion around at Costco and watch him. I mean, you got to see him sample food in that place. He'll spend seven hours in a Costco and not buy a damn thing. It's fascinating. Listen, in terms of the quarter, it was a, it's a really, really strong quarter. I mean, you, there's nothing not to like about it. And when you see operating margins, you know, I know we're talking about small numbers here, but you know, almost 3.7%, which is a lot better than the street was looking for. What concerns me are these two things. Valuation, probably now close mm. to 33 times next year's number. And the fact that we've traded up to that November high of 390 or so. Remember back in November, the stock cratered from 390 down to 300. Here we are again. So... It absolutely has to close above 390 for the next level. I think the way you trade it is you take profits here and look for the pullback that you saw last fall. 33 forward. That's that's quite a high valuation. Uh, Grasso, you raised your hand, which is unusual for you. You're usually just yes. you blurting kind of guy. Yes, but go ahead. <laughs> yes, Miss Lee. So, so when I when I look at the uh, the stock price, guy uh, referred to the 393 November 30th high, 393 and change. It looked like during the day it wanted to make a run at that post earnings. I think everything in this earnings report is positive. And when you look at the retail space, the when you look at the uh, the uh, technicals on this stock, 
the 50-day broke through the 20, uh, the 200-day to the upside. That's called the golden cross in, in, uh, in technical terms. This is a stock that has huge tailwinds behind it. The greatest chart in the, in the space is Target. But if you ask me, would you rather, which you didn't, but I'm going to answer it anyway, Costco is my one of choice here. Walmart's chart has flattened out and plateaued. Target's chart looks like it wants to come back in. It's nosebleed territory. But when you look at the annuities of uh, the fact that membership fees are up to $901 million, that's up 11 percent. That is an annuity for this. And by the way, people have been coming back. People are in stores. There's lines around the block for Costco and Home Depot. They've been in that store way before the vaccine was even rolling out to the extent. Costco is going to be a winner going forward. Look for new all-time highs. Two things that will be very different when we return to the Nasdaq, which is, by the way, next week. Um, the need to raise hands will probably go away since two of us at least will be in person. And also the self would you rathering will probably come to an end as I will kick the person who does that. <laughs> you heard it here on air. You Pete, better be six. Six feet. You, I'll find you a way. Six you know, legs. I will find a way. <laughs> Pete, do you want to do you want to um, defend your honor when it comes to, you know, grazing on Costco samples and stretching your membership to the fullest extent? He. Let me tell you, Guy is 100% correct. And when I do these boots on the ground, that's one of the things I do. I'm going from spot to spot. I can spend about three and a half hours there. It feels like Thanksgiving. But I will tell you this. The, the problem that I have with Costco, and I know everybody sounds very bullish, but the, the problem that I have with Costco right now is exactly what was pointed out. When you look at that multiple, that's really difficult for me to say, you know what, I think this stock can outperform because I think that multiple is way too high at this point. The same has been true, I think, for Walmart. And that's where the Target discussion comes into play because when you look at Target, even though it's hit almost an all-time high every day for the last week and a half, how about the fact that it trades at an 18 PE and they have great margins? So, um, you know, I still like the space. I like the big box names. I like Home Depot and, and, and the rest. But I think the reality here is that multiple for me makes me think there are better places where I can get better performance than Costco. All right. Up next, Ford going full speed ahead as investors get bullish, even more bullish on the automaker's EV bet. But is it time to pump the brakes on this big rally? Plus, a burger blowout beyond meat shares sizzling on talks that the stock may be the next Reddit target. It is right now, actually. We'll break that down and later Salesforce soaring in the after hours on a big earnings beat. We'll give you the numbers and how to trade the move. There's much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. It is a seemingly unstoppable rally. Ford shares surging again today. The stock is now up 19% in just the past week. Ford doubling down on electric vehicles, prompting a big upgrade today from RBC. The stock is now sitting at a six-year high. But is this electric rally sustainable or is it running out of juice? Tim, yesterday you said the stock still didn't look expensive. It got a little more expensive today. But is it expensive? expensive? It's still not. Okay. No, it's not expensive. It's not expensive, especially in EV land. And uh, as Dan likes to say, with a little Tesla pixie dust. Um, but, you know, we talked about three times EBITDA um, was at least you know, what the analyst was quoting. I, you know, I'd, I'd make an argument that, you know, you put a 10 to 12 multiple on the stock and you still earn an 18, $19 stock. 
Um, and that's after the run we've had. Now, remember, if you're playing either relative value or really just trading ranges between Ford and GM, it's probably time to fade Ford and get long GM, which I, I think is a fundamentally uh, not a difficult thing to do. Um, I have a position in both, but I have a bigger position in GM. Um, Ford's outperformed GM by about 36% since uh, the, the kind of the bottom of that spread in January 19th of this year. Before that, GM outperform, had outperformed Ford by about 35% going back to last July. So I think you know, you've seen the sentiment go back and forth between these two names. But either way, uh, the backdrop for both companies is profitability, then multiple enhancement. Sometimes, Guy, we play this game where we show a chart. You don't know what the name <laughs> of the chart is, what stock it is, what asset it is. Mm. You say, would you buy this chart? If you saw Ford's chart, not knowing that it was Ford, would you like that chart? Yes. And, but you've got to go back eight, <laughs> nine years. You've got to go back to Halloween, by the way, boo. Of you know, 2013, when it was a $17.5 stock. And I know you're a fan of this show, CNBC's Fast Money. Oh, you're a fan of it because you host it every night. But one of the things we've been saying is, to Tim just addressed it, you slap a 10 multiple on the $1.75 they're going to earn, you have a $17.5 stock. We've said it now seemingly for the last couple months. And guess what happened today, Melissa Lee? You don't have to guess. We don't have that much time. But RBC Capital, I think, initiated the stock with a... $17 price target. Funny about that, right? It's sort of the math work. So I do think there's still room to the upside, and I still think Ford goes higher from here. What is the best EV play? Steve Grasso. Uh, I don't know if you want to buy a Ford. Well, you definitely don't want to buy uh, a Ford as far as an EV play or GM on an EV play. You have to buy Tesla if you believe in, in EV, but Why? Tesla gives you that big... Why? They're going to make a lot of EVs. 40% of Ford's sales globally are going to be EVs eventually. Right. How how many combustible engine cars does Tesla make? Zero. So I'd rather play the the direct play. I'd rather play the direct play in EV. But the problem is you have too much noise around Bitcoin and you have too much noise about uh, the CEO who's great uh, as a tailwind and he's probably just as good as a headwind. But when you look at Ford, the chart, it extended itself over the 50-day moving average about 38% uh, back in January. It's extended about 33% now. So I like Guy's number of 17 as a price target. I don't think it gets there. I actually think it gets somewhere in that mid-zone from here and 17, which is a pretty tight range, and backs off about 15 or 20%. I'd look for a better entry. I don't want to buy a Ford or a GM based on EV. I want to buy them on valuation, values outperforming growth. That's good enough a reason for me, but I wait for a better entry. All right, Mike Coe standing by with the uh, options activity in Ford. Mike, what are you seeing? Uh, quite a lot of options activity, actually. So with only 30 minutes to go, this thing had already traded more than three times its average daily options volume. I think it got to four times the average daily options volume by the end of the day, trading close to 1.26 million call contracts alone. Now, a lot of that activity, as we've seen in many other spaces where we've seen stocks on the move, was short dated. That is to say, calls that expire at the end of this week, which is in this case tomorrow. Just looking at the action, though, that looks a little bit further than that, out to June 4th, the expiration next week, and out to June regular way expiration. It's the 15 strike calls that we're seeing the most activity. 50,000 traded with 30 minutes to go, 75,000 traded by the close. They were paying about 60 cents for those. And I think buyers of those calls are saying, okay, this stock has had obviously a very big move, but if it was cheap at three times EV EBITDA at nine times earnings, that doesn't mean it's expensive at 10 times earnings. 
3.3 times EV EBITDA. Those people right. are playing for six times EV EBITDA, but they're betting the stock could go up at least 6% in the next three weeks. Yeah, Pete, I know you saw that surge too. Um, so what do you make of Ford? Yeah, you know, Mel, I was lucky enough to be in Ford only because of the fact that we'd had that unusual option activity. May 20th and the 21st, they were, uh, 21st, they were buying the June 14th strike call. So really aggressive buying. And Mike is talking about the June 15th. We aren't really seeing a whole lot of activity much higher than that. So the 17s are starting to see a little bit of activity, but a lot of it really is ultra short term. So I view this as trade. So I'm a, I'm a trader. I've taken off a piece of it. I'm going to probably take off more pretty quickly, maybe tomorrow, if we hold above this 15 level. But this is a trader's market right now. There's no doubt about it, Mel. But people are not really showing that they want any, that they, they see much more. So I'm expecting more of a pause from Ford over the next couple of weeks or so because of the fact that we're not seeing people extend up and actually going out in time and buying that upside, any, not anything close to what we're seeing in the near term. And that gets me to my next question, Guy, and that is what is the next catalyst? We had this big grand plan of all the EV strategy. We had that massive run in the stock. Now what? I mean, to Pete's point about a pause... Well, <laughs> No, I mean, Pete might be 100% right. I mean, it might pause here for a while. And listen, maybe it pulls back to, you know, 12 and a half, 13. I just think that the catalyst is valuation. You know, people are looking for where can I find value and have the growth. Uh-huh. I think you can find it in Ford. And even if you get, listen, even just on the margins, you get margin expansion. You know, you're talking about this $17.5 stock. We played that game with GM uh, many, many months ago in terms of where that stock could trade up to. And just to sort of push back on Steve, he said, you know, how many combustible engines does Tesla make? He said zero. I would submit I've seen some of those videos. Apparently, they make more than a few. I've seen those fire videos for Tesla a couple times. I'm sure many people dispute that, saying a regular combustible engine cars also burst out into flames occasionally. Mike, but getting back to that point about the right stock for the right time in the market, this is value and it also provides growth. Would you agree with that assessment on Ford? I, I do agree with that. Look, one of the big issues for Tesla, obviously, is that they are getting credit money from the companies that are producing internal combustion engines. So as these guys transform and start producing more electric vehicles, that obviously is not just an upward catalyst for them, but it's a downward pressure for Tesla, which obviously collects $1.6 billion in revenues full year on the sales of those credits to these other companies. That's the thing that obviously creates some pressure for Tesla, and it also creates Mm. some support for a name like Ford. All right. Mike, thank you. Mike Coe, we'll see you tomorrow for the full show, Options Action, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Still ahead, Beyond Meat beefs up. One big bank says this could be the next Reddit target. We'll tell you how our traders are playing this name. Plus, we're listening in on the Salesforce call. The stock is higher in the after hours on earnings. We'll tell you what they're saying about the quarter. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Beyond Meat heating up today. The stock soaring more than 12% after Bank of America said this could be the next target in the Reddit rebellion. The bank noting an uptick in mentions on Reddit's Wall Street Bets board. Kramer also pointed Beyond's 22% short interest. Beyond is now up 14% this year. And I will go to the trader, the only one on this panel, I believe, who is actually um, laughing at this whole uh, notion, Tim. <laughs> laughing at, at this whole thing, <laughs> openly laughing. Yeah, well, the laughs, yeah, the, the laughs, the laughs on me. If if in fact I you know, 
certainly, thank goodness, I, I wouldn't be short any of these names. Um, but, you know, my argument that a, a GameStop um, and even an AMC, I think I've said something like, yeah, I love going to the movies, but it's a broken business. So, I mean, why, you know, why even bother? Um, so, you know, the, the stories around uh, Reddit and that as a catalyst, and I, I can't believe analysts are even using that as a fundamental catalyst because it's not. Um, so, again, you can laugh at me all you want, but, um, and I, you know, I said something last night, I think the stock it was up 30% today. It's, it's the notion, I guess what I'm getting at is it's the notion that this is a factor in trading, right? That is laughable. Right. And yet, it is. So if you're an analyst, do you, don't you acknowledge this? I mean, Steve Grasso, isn't it hard to ignore a 22% short interest in this day and age if you are an analyst? Absolutely. And I think analysts have been forced to realize what, uh, what these stocks are. If I tell you how many times uh, I have a big family and how many times college-age uh, kids are hitting me on text asking me about all of these names, uh, one of which I'm still long, Virgin Galactic, which has a 26% short interest. I, I bought it at, at 15 and change. It rallied all the way up to, I think, 60, then turned around and, and wanted to head right back to that level again where I, where I first bought it. And now they had one successful flight, short scramble to, to cover. And this is one of those names that Bank America is talking about as well. This is uh, definitely the, a focal point for the conversation has become short interest and you got to pay mm -hmm. attention to it. And yet for this story, there is there is a fundamental story. I mean, before Wall Street Bets and Reddit became a force in this market, Guy, we were talking about alternative meat, uh, the desire to shrink your carbon footprint, to eat healthier, et cetera. There were there were factors behind this. Um, they've got tie ups, a new tie up in China, a new type to make the spicy beef wrap at Yum. Um, and, and so where do you stand on yeah. this? I know it's something you'll never eat. I think, never. I, I think you, I, of course not. And I, how many times, you've heard me say it. I mean, the, the product doesn't sit well with me, but I do like the stock. And, you know, Jim Cramer mentioned it. And now they have this relationship with KFC China. I mean, now they, you know, the folks in mainland China can experience some of the joy that I experienced when we did our taste test many, seemingly many years <laughs> ago. But, you know, I think the stock's going to take a run at that 190 level that we found out a couple times. I think Bernstein just upgraded it. I think you probably own the stock in earnings in early August, if memory serves. Maybe we'll reinstate the taste test when we're, we're re reunited. Coming up, the greatest Hollywood comeback of all time. Check out shares of AMC talking about Reddit stock soaring today. So what's driving the blockbuster move? We'll find out. Plus, we're all over the after hours action shares of Salesforce. We've been listening in on the company's call. We'll tell you what they're saying about the quarter. And as we head out, a message from CNBC contributor Ed Lee as CNBC celebrates Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. You always have to speak up. Uh, what does that mean? You know, if you're seeing an incident of racism, if you're seeing a slight, not just against yourself or other Asian Americans, but against any minority group, speaking out and having allyship with fellow people of color, I think is incredibly important uh, and necessary for the future. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Salesforce shares of the cloud company surging on results. Kate Rooney's been listening in on the company's call. Kate, what are the details here? Hey, Melissa's call is still going on. CEO Mark Benioff kicking off that call, though, with a lot of excitement 
around what Salesforce reported in the first quarter. Earnings and revenue were better than expected. They also upped full year guidance and second quarter guidance. Shares have been up about 5% here, but 4% now after hours. Benioff saying that this was the best quarter in the company's history and, quote, demonstrated strength and durability of that business. He also mentioned Salesforce's deal to buy Slack. No answers on exactly when that will close. He did say, though, when the merger is approved, Benioff saying that they will be able to make customers more productive. He says Salesforce has, quote, never been better positioned for the future. The company raised full-year revenue guidance by $250 million. Salesforce now says it's on track to hit $50 billion in revenue by 2026. First quarter revenue grew by 23%, coming in at $5.96 billion. Earnings also came in better than expected as well. And another big headline from the call, Salesforce's big Dreamforce conference is coming back in person. That's in late September. Attendees will have to be vaccinated, though. Melissa, back to you. All right, Kate, thank you. Kate Rooney, by the way, Kramer sitting down exclusively with Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff. That is coming up at the top of the hour on Mad Money. In the meantime, let's trade this 4% move. Steve, where do you go with this? Uh, You know, when you look at it, I'm not happy with the chart. If I go back to September 2020, it's had a series of lower highs. It definitely did sort of what it had to do post earnings print. That 237 mark is the recent high that it's had. It it flirted with that uh, post uh, post market close. But when you when you look at the chart and you look at where they live, the stock has really done nothing uh, this year. So I think that's a product of growth being out of favor and value being in favor. Having said that, they're very acquisitive. I guess they bought about four or five in the last couple of years. I think they could buy profitability. But if 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 I if I was forced to make a, a call on this one, I'd rather stay clear of it. I think we're uh, we're due for some lower prices. I don't like to bet against Benioff, but I'd stay out of this one. I mean, basically, it's in line with IGV, the software ETF, because it's swept up in that in that tilt towards value in the shunning of the high valuation names. It squarely falls in there, guys. So at what point do you say Salesforce is worth a buy? Yeah, Steve, you know, it's interesting that, that Benioff said this is the best quarter in the history yeah. of the company. He knows better than I do. But I'll tell you, you go back to August of last year into the fall. I mean, there were some pretty ridiculously strong quarters and the stock acted in kind. And Steve is 100 percent right. A series of lower lows and lower highs since that September high. But you know what? And I think Steve would agree. You get a close above 235. And I think that trend is broken. So, again, I think you say a close above 235, you buy this stock. Looking for a move potentially back to those highs we saw back in mm-hmm. September. For more on Salesforce results, let's get to Jared Weisfeld, tech specialist at Jefferies. Jared, great to have you with us. What stood out about this quarter? So it was a very solid quarter all around. And I think what you're seeing after hours is more than a re- more of a relief rally than anything else. It's a very difficult and choppy software environment, as you guys have noted. And even today, you saw Anaplan down 12%, Workday down 3%. So I think this is just more of a relief rally in the context of a very strong quarter. Revenue is up 23% year-on-year, constant currency 20% year-on-year. CRPO, which is the best metric in terms of the health of the business, which stands for remaining performance obligations, basically a bookings metric. That was up about 20% year-on-year, slightly ahead of investor expectations. You're seeing the stock fade after hours right now. On the conference call, they're talking about their guidance for CRPO, including about 300 basis points of Slack contribution. So when you net that all out, it's a little bit of a guide below on Q2. Hmm. But they are talking up margins. I've heard, you know, I was listening to the call before. 
I heard Benioff mention margins 10 times in the beginning of the conference call. That's more than I've heard him talk about in a while. And I think that, that's the key in terms of sustained share price outperformance. If you get the margin inflections, you'll see the price follow through from a, uh, from a multiple perspective. When you say choppy environment for software, do you mean simply just the dynamic of the market? Software is sort of out of favor right now, or is there any doubt about the pipeline and about demand for these products as the economy reopens? Yeah, it's, it's, it's precisely the former, Melissa. I think, you know, when we look at all the survey work that we're doing, I think in our latest CRM survey, we surveyed 55 partners. 100% of the partners said that their pipelines were flat to better than they were uh, versus the last survey. So all of the survey work continues to be incredibly positive in terms of the momentum of the of the business environment. It's more so as you think about just the steepening of the yield curve and the relationship between growth and value and software being out of favor versus some of the other more cyclical sectors. That's what I was referring to. Hey, Jared, they've got some great free cash flows. Obviously, they've got an an amazing amount of cash. Should they be using that cash to acquire still or should they be using it in a different manner right now? So, you know, if, if you look at the vision that Benioff has laid out, it's really hard to bet against him, right? They've they've done incredibly well with MuleSoft. They've done a really nice job with Tableau. On the call, they started mentioning all of the number of deals that are included with Tableau and MuleSoft in this most recent quarter, and they've really accelerated that growth. And if you look at what, what's happening at Slack, last quarter at Slack was the best paid net ad quarter ever. So he, he has a vision. It, we should not be betting against him. He's getting this company to scale, and he's taking off Microsoft. He's taking on Microsoft from a competitive landscape perspective, pretty aggressively with their Teams offering. So I think he's deploying it in the in the right manner. It's just the question of whether or not we get operating margin expansion associated with that. Jared, when you look at revenues, seventy percent of revenues come from the U.S., twenty percent come from Europe, ten percent come from Asia. If I were to look at this as an opportunity with Europe lagging behind the U.S. as far as reopenings and coming back. Is uh, Mr. Benioff focused on the U.S. or is he focused on that opportunity where I would see it as a tailwind for Europe and Asia? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. I mean, U.S. software companies in general are over-indexed here uh, to the States for the most part, but Salesforce is one of the unique companies that has such a global presence and there's such un, there's such an untapped opportunity that he's looking to go after. So I think that's a great point in terms of, you know, you look at all the economies that are locked down that are hopefully going to start reopening here in the next six months with uh, with Europe at a you know 20 percent plus of revenues that should absolutely serve as a tailwind to, to Salesforce in the back half of the year. And as it was mentioned before, you know, they're doing a global Dreamforce event. Right. We shouldn't underestimate what Dreamforce could mean from a catalyst perspective as they get all the partners together. So that could definitely be a catalyst in the back half of the year. In your view, Jared, what is the software stock that that can best weather this rising interest rate environment? So, you know, when, when you think about the broader environment and the shift out of um, out of growth into more value platform, you know, that's why you know, Salesforce is such an interesting name because it's not that expensive, right? It trades at a 30, 40% discount to its peers. It's trading mid single digit multiple in terms of EV to revenue. So it really does offer sort of that best of both worlds in terms of garpiness um, with respect to the broader rate environment. And I throw other names in that group that benefits from that. So, you know, when you think about Garpy large cap software, think about Microsoft, think about Adobe, think about Intuit, names that have real free, free cash flow support, where if rates start backing up to two, two and a quarter on the 10 year, you don't get hurt as much on a relative basis. Jared, thank you. Good to see you. Jared Weisfeld, Jeffries. Thank um, you. Tim Seymour, which of uh, those names in Jared's basket do you like the best? 
You don't run far from CRM. I, I think Jared's point, I, I, I know it around six times EV to sales next year um, with a growing margin profile. Uh, again, the investment in Slack and the platform effect of Slack, um, I, I, it, it's, it's not really expensive. And, and so um, I, I think if you look at the stock, the volatility around the software space, some of this is you know, the, the growth to value dynamics. Some of it was that this, this, uh, this company went into the Dow Industrials, which we, we beat on yesterday a little bit in terms of a price-weighted index. But the move for CRM uh, was, was massive on that, along with very strong numbers that Guy referenced. So four moves of 15% or more on drawdown since last September. I, I think I, I believe the worst of that volatility is behind us. All right. Coming up, pop the popcorn. There is a major Hollywood sequel playing out in shares of AMC. And one of our traders just got in on the action. We'll bring you all the details and Fast Money Returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. AMC topping the tape. The stock surging almost 36 percent today. It is now up 111 percent in just the past week. Pete, you're in this. You are in AMC, despite Tim's laughing oh, at man, this story. <laughs> laugh, laugh, laugh yesterday. <laughs> laughing now. Um, you're in this one. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Yeah, I've been in it. I've been in and out of it multiple times, but I, I did get back in again today. And part of the reasoning was, Mel, the volumes are just too strong. This is uh, truly a trade. And I think we have to embrace what the markets are really giving us right now. And what that started in January, obviously, GameStop and the attack on a lot of these very high short interest type plays. When, and now we've brought in another one with Beyond Meat, and that's the possibility of something working forward as well. But AMC today, 3.3 million contracts. Just to give you a little reference, that's about seven times normal. And normally you don't see AMC anywhere close to the top five or ten. So it's interesting to see that and the volumes. About 60-some-odd percent of that was on the call side. A little bit, you know, 40 or a little bit less than 40% on the put side. But I'll tell you, Mel, I, I, I think that the, what we have to embrace is the markets that we are in now and the hybrid markets that have been created, which is more and more people with access that want to trade and they get involved. Options mm -hmm. definitely gives them an opportunity. It's amazing how fast things can move to the upside and the downside. So I, I try to caution people all the time. These names are very, very volatile, and you have to understand that, and you have to understand exactly what the risks are when you're going in. And I think more and more people are getting a better understanding of that, but hopefully they're getting more educated about the derivatives world because it's a great spot to be. Yeah. But I tell you what, these are truly just trades. Here's where the twist could be. Next week there's going to be a shareholder vote on whether AMC should issue another 500 million shares guide on me. There's a couple ways you could look at it. Dilutive, obviously, to current stockholders, which would be bad, or positive in that they are raising even more money to bolster the balance sheet. How do you think the markets will interpret this one, knowing there's a Reddit twist yeah, in here? Well, I mean, listen, all you have to do is go back in history. I mean, they, they did a 43 million share secondary, I think $9 and change, and you see where the stock has done since. So Pete brings up a great point. But then I would say, I would push back and say, well, if the company saw this come, clearly the company didn't see this move coming because they wouldn't have done it at $9 and change. So my sense, if they do a secondary of that magnitude, the stock will sell off. But you know what? In this environment, who really does know, Melissa? Maybe AMC should make a movie about AMC. <laughs> It would be a nail-biter. <laughs> Coming up next, we got your final trade. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. 
Yeah, Disney, again, like this story, uh, the chart is starting to recover, and the reopening story is very strong for the company. Again, AMC needs Disney Studio all day long. Best content in the business, an evaluation I like. Pete Najarian. I'm going to give you gap stores. I like what we saw. They had great guidance from their earnings, and I think this is a stock that can continue to go higher. Steve Grasso. GE, I'm going to leave it where we started this conversation. It's got to close above that uh, March 9th level of 1441. I'm looking for 21 and 21 GE. 21 and 21. That's that a nice ring to it. Uh, Guy Dami, what do you say? I told you 21 and 21. I started the show. And yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing you tomorrow night on CNBC's Fast Money and the Options Action. Mel? Thank you. You have a final trade? Oh, you're going to be here. I'm looking forward to Yeah, well, I look at, yeah, I do have a final trade. Federal Express, very quietly, <laughs> all-time high. All right, thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for Fast. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.